Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amy, for reading that passage for us this morning. I hold in my hand the sermon schedule for 2024. It's all here. Every sermon that we're going to do in 2024 is on this piece of paper, all the sermon series. They're color-coded. Because that's how I roll. And we're going to spend a lot of time in John's gospel this year, which I just can't wait. Um, We're going to be spending the first part of the year in a sermon series called The Last Supper. We're going to be working our way through that part of John's gospel, John 13 through 17 into 18, getting right into Easter. There, we're going to spend time in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go through a study of the summer. It's going to be so much fun because we're going to be in Ruth. And then we're going to transition from Ruth into the life of David, which is going to be just a beautiful part of unpacking the history of the Old Testament. And then we're going to spend the fall in Philippians. And then we'll end with an Advent series on the Nativity according to Luke. Uh, and so that's where we're going in 2024. And I'm telling you all this to say, I'm a person who is charged with the responsibility of preaching every Sunday. And part of what comes with that is preaching the full counsel of God's word. And one of the things that goes into that for me and for the other pastors at Christ Pres is I spend a lot of time just thinking about what we're going to do. I spend a lot of time thinking about this kind of stuff. Like, what are we going to do over the course of a year in the pulpit? And then the ministries that kind of go out from that, whether it's small groups or, or just different Bible studies that happen. I think about this. I pray about it. We map it out. We think about it usually a year at a time. I love having a view of 2024. Um, and my prayer is that as we interact with God's Word each week, that it would be more for us than just a random series of disconnected messages, but that instead what we'd be getting is the sense of a cumulative effect of God's word at work in the life of his people, Um, which is how scripture is designed to work anyway. It's designed to be cumulative. It's designed to help us grow as we see how the whole thing fits together. And so before we enter into this new year of sermons, what I want to do today on the last Sunday of the year is begin a tradition. And the tradition is taking the last Sunday of the year and using it as kind of a year in review of where we've been in Scripture for 2023. And so we're going to walk through everything we did from the pulpit last year, minus a thing or two here or there. And so, but first I want to highlight a couple of reasons why. Um, and it's, the first is, uh, is, that, is this idea that scripture is cumulative. 
that the Bible is not a bunch of disconnected ideas, but it's one story that details the nature of God's relationship to humanity. It details the nature of his reconciling work that we find in the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. And so our study of the parts of Scripture should include us asking, how does this text relate to the rest of Scripture? How does it all hold together? So that's the first reason I want us to do this year in review thing. Second is that the hearing and the study of Scripture was always meant to be a corporate endeavor. Yeah, it's important for us and it's good for us to study Scripture on our own, but it was always meant to be a corporate endeavor. Nearly every book in the Bible was written with the intent that it would be read and that it would be studied and that it would be applied by the people of God corporately. And so like all of Paul's epistles almost were written to churches, right? Except for a couple that were written to leaders of churches. The books of Moses were delivered to the people of Abraham. The Psalms were the hymn book of the Israelites. The prophets spoke to nations, right? You get the picture that that scripture is meant to be a corporate endeavor, that we read it and we study it as a group. So that's the second reason. The third reason I want to do this year in review is because it's encouraging. It's encouraging for us to step back and to see the cumulative nature of God's work happening in our midst. If we look at the preaching of the word as a journey that we're on as a congregation, and that's something that we're walking through together over the course of time, one of the things that we'll see is that we have, in fact, covered some ground, that we're not where we were a year ago. If you look back to where you were a year ago, if I look back to where I was a year ago, so much has changed. A lot has happened in that period of time. And so it's encouraging. We're not in the same place we were a year ago. And a lot of the fuel that has moved us forward has been the content of Scripture. And so it's encouraging. It's encouraging for us to look back and say, ah, yes. Okay, and then fourth is that the message of God's word is meant to change us. And so it gives us an opportunity to reflect on how have I changed? How have I grown? How am I different? What do I see now that I didn't see then? And uh, so it's the idea, right, that scripture is not just information, that God's word is not just an instruction manual, it's not just a book that has a bunch of details and important bits of uh, data that you need to know. It's, It's a transformational living word. And so we're a church, we're five years old as a congregation, and God has us here for a reason. He has this church here for a purpose, and he's doing something with us, and it's good for us to look and to see, okay, okay, what is he doing, and how has he been at work here, and how have we grown, and what are we becoming as a result of the time that we spend in God's word? Okay, so those are the reasons why I want to do this year in review. That's a lot of preamble. I can't think of a better place to go in scripture for setting up a sermon series like this, I'm thinking of it as a sermon series, then Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in scripture by like a lot. Like it's, it's 176 verses. It's cool, Psalm 119, because it's, it's a poem. It's an acrostic poem comprised of 22 stanzas And those stanzas each correlate with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
And so to look at it in the original Hebrew language, you would see that each line of each stanza begins with that stanza's corresponding letter. And there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so, so this is a 22-year-long sermon series. It's going to take me a minute to get through Psalm 119, but we have 22 years to try. Um, but this is a beautiful work of art, Psalm 119, because it's this, it's this marvel of ancient poetry. And today we're just going to focus on the first stanza, the first eight verses. And it has a theme. Psalm 119 has a theme. And the theme of this psalm is that it celebrates the law of God. That's the whole point of this psalm. It just celebrates the law of God using the letters that were used to compose the law of God. It's pretty brilliant and, and beautiful. And so what it does is it celebrates the fact that God has given his law to his people and that he has not withheld it. It honors the fact that God tells us what he wants from us rather than being silent on the matter or leaving us guessing. And then it delights in how perfect his guidance is. And it does it in ways, for many of us, we may think of the law of God and think that's the part of scripture that's kind of thorny and, and the part that I don't really like to be around that much. I don't, it's the rigid part. And I really love the stories where there's, where there's, you know, conversations happening, but the law is kind of the rigid part. But in this Psalm, oh, he just delights in it. He delights in it. He calls it so many different things. Just in these first eight verses, he calls it, he calls it his ways testimonies, his rules, his statutes, his precepts, his commands, just in these few verses alone, he has all these names for the law of God and does it in this way that is so creative and poetic and has so much detail and it's so beautiful. And the plea of the psalm to delight in the law of God is worthy of this kind of beauty. And the psalmist is essentially begging the Lord, Lord, show me. Show me your ways. Show me your ways that I might walk in them. And then grant me a steadfast heart that I wouldn't stray. Because the best life is the one that I live in union with you. So that's what he's asking. Lord, show me your ways. Show me your word. And so our objective for the rest of this message is going to be to return to the places that we've studied. And it's going to go quick to return to the places that we've studied this year and to remember and even mine some of God's precepts and his rules and his statutes and his guidance so that his word might reside in our hearts and guide us in a life that is genuinely good and beautiful. Okay, so we're ready? If you remember, at the beginning of last year, we started... In the winter, we spent time in the winter in the prophet Micah. Remember that? Micah? We spent like 10, 11 weeks in Micah. And I remember being nervous about getting into Micah. Part of the reason I felt nervous about studying Micah is because as a, uh, as, as a preacher, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just being candid with you, I'm a little intimidated by the minor prophets. Um, I don't know if you feel that way. I don't know if in your Bible in a year plan, you're like, I can't wait until we get into the minor prophets. Um, but we spent time in there and we called the series Forgiveness. 
And we zeroed in on this idea of forgiveness because that's one of the things that runs through that letter. That Micah is prophesying, these these Old Testament prophets, when they would prophesy, they were speaking to people who were in trouble. Judgment was coming. They They were about to reap the whirlwind of the rebellion against God. And that's what's happening in Micah. It's political, social, economic, and spiritual decline in Judah. And they'd begun to look like their neighboring nations that just had no use for God at all. And Micah is looking at them. He's looking at the corruption of Judah. And this book takes this turn where it starts to focus on the pardoning grace of God toward the guilty. And some of the themes that we talked about over the course of that series were these. First, God's pardoning grace is something that comes from his character, not our loveliness. His grace is something that comes from his character, not our loveliness. God's pardoning grace is rooted in actual justice, not forgetfulness. That God actually deals with the problem of sin. He addresses it. He doesn't just ignore it or sweep it under the rug. He addresses it head on. And so when his grace is shown, it's shown not because he's ignoring sin, but because he's dealing with it perfectly and fully. We also saw in that series that God's grace is based on a covenant promise that he made. His grace is not based on your behavior. That wouldn't be grace. But his grace is based on a covenant promise that he made that was cut long before you were born. Before you were ever able to betray a confidence. Before you were ever able to take something that isn't yours. Before you were ever able to curse God under your breath. He cut a covenant. And said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And this will be an everlasting covenant that nothing will break. And one of the big truths from Micah that's... that's so important for Christians to believe and so hard for us to believe is this. You are not the reason God is kind to you. Your likability has nothing to do with the kindness of God toward you. We would be in trouble if that was the case. You are the recipient of the kindness of God But you're not the cause of the kindness of God. You're the recipient of it, but you're not the cause of it. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because of who he is. And then we got into 1 Peter. We took Easter Sunday to look at the story of Peter's reinstatement, and then from there, jumped into this series on 1 Peter. And in that series on the life and then this letter of Peter, we spent a lot of time in that letter talking about the theme of suffering. So in Micah, we talked about forgiveness. And then in Peter, we started talking about suffering. It is hard to talk about the life of Simon Peter without having to deal with the subject of suffering. And so we spent time talking about that. And what was so poignant about that is the reality that sorrow and struggle come for all of us. None of us are exempt. When we get into this kind of time of the year where maybe we start to reflect back on the last year, one of the things that inevitably becomes a part of that remembering is sorrow and grief. We think about things that we lost. 
when we look at the life of Simon Peter and his writings, one of the things that we see is we're not alone. We've never been alone in this. We've never been alone in this. You have been on the mind of God. You are on the mind of God. Not as somebody who has managed to impress him by your conduct, but as somebody who has been loved because of who he is, like we learned in Micah. And we kept in front of us in that whole sermon series through 1 Peter this reminder of who it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that was writing this letter. This person, Simon Peter, who is this picture, he's a a paradox. He's a contradiction, right? On the one hand, he's the one of the disciples who when when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter's the one who says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. But he's also the one who, when Jesus is arrested, we have a painting of it back there, a Rembrandt in the back corner. When Jesus is arrested and Simon Peter is kind of hanging back to to watch what's happening but not wanting to be discovered, he denies even having known who Jesus was. I take a lot of comfort from a person like this being used by God in the ways that he has because we're all walking contradictions. All of us, we're walking contradictions. But Peter is somebody who, who he speaks as one whose entire life has been wrapped up in the grace that he proclaims. He knows that he needs it in this public failure of his. He speaks as one who has come to understand that this life that he's living is a vapor compared to the innumerable glories that await And so he concludes his letter talking about the grace of God and talking about the glory of God and the riches of his grace. And he says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in that. Stand firm in that. In the face of suffering. And then we moved in the summer into the parables. I love the parables. And one of the things that kept coming up in the parables was a theme of repentance. Repentance. And where it got... Most poignant for me as the preacher in that series, as we looked through the Good Samaritan and the Rich Fool and the Sower and the Persistent Widow and the Great Banquet, as we spent two weeks on the parable of the prodigal son. And we were talking about repentance. And in that sermon series, when we were talking about the prodigal son, I asked the question what does it take to repent? What does it take to repent? Does it take sorrow over your sin? Does it take insight into your foolishness? And the answer is, no, it takes more than that. To truly repent, it takes more than sorrow over your sin and insight into your foolishness because we need more than a repentant heart to repent. And you may be saying, this is starting to sound legalistic. Here's what we need to repent. We need a father like this. We need a father like this to repent. Your repentance is worthless if the one you're repenting to doesn't forgive. But we need a father like this, and this is what we have. A father who wants his children home. That's what we need, and that's what we have. Somebody who wants us home and who sees through our plans to try to settle as his worker. And he says, that's not who you are. This is the kind of father we have. This is the reason sinners flock to Jesus. 
is he tells them, even though you're living in a distant country, your heavenly father loves you and wants you home. And then we got into Acts and we finished our sermon series on the book of Acts that we've been chipping away at for three years, doing about nine chapters at a time. And we landed a plane on that. Remember, that wasn't that long ago when we finished Acts. And we marveled at the mission of the continuing church. So in Micah, we talked about forgiveness. In First Peter, we talked about suffering. In the parables, we talked about repentance. And then in Acts, this mission of the continuing church and the mystery of the continuing church that we're here. Like right now, we're here because of what the Lord has built. He's called and preserved the people for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation scattered around the globe. And we're an imperfect people. We're walking contradictions. We're full of ambition and fear, poor judgment, right? We don't point to the goodness that we obtain in Christ nearly as often as we point to our need for his forgiveness and redemption. And yet, the church remains. She remains. The bride of Christ. And after all that has happened, from the fall of man to the birth of Christ, to his death and his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, to the spread of his gospel throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, the enduring mystery of faith remains. And what is that mystery? It's that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And we now here live between these two advents. Our Advent series was on that verse in Isaiah that talks about the kind of king Christ would be. His redeeming work as our king. So, forgiveness, suffering, repentance, the continuing church, and then Christ's redeeming work as our king. And in that passage from Isaiah, it raises the question, what does God want? What is God zealous for? And what he's zealous for is redemption and restoration. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's what he says in talking about the coming of Christ. What proof do we have that God is zealous to redeem and to restore? To us a child is born, to us a son is given. That he's given us his son, our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem, whose birth we just celebrated and continue to celebrate. You and I were made for a relationship with him. We were made to be in a relationship with Jesus And we were made for that more than we were made for anything else. And we're called to follow him as we navigate this life, anticipating that one day this life will end and we will be with him forever. And it will be the only thing that we know. Peace in his presence forever. It's quite a thing to walk through, really, when you think about that. We walk through these themes of repentance and forgiveness and redemption and suffering And then this fact that we continue on in life. And we continue on in community. We continue on as people whose lives are knit together. That we're we're brothers and sisters. And that we're not alone. And we're not called to be alone. The psalmist prayed in these opening verses, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast 
in keeping your statutes. What a thing to pray. Lord, help me be steadfast in keeping your word. I pray this for us this year. As we go into 2024, with all these fun things we've got on this list, we're going to have some good times in the pulpit this year. I love it. Heavy stuff. Joyful stuff. Meaningful. But my prayer for us is that what we have gleaned from the Word of God this past year is transformative for us in ways that helps us to be steadfast in the way that we keep His statutes. Another year has passed. We spend our lives in all sorts of ways hoping that we're doing something that means something, that's meaningful, that's lasting, that we're building towards something good. And yet, we find from God's word this year a reminder that this life, in the big picture, is a vapor. It matters, but it is also hurtling us toward what follows. And so from Micah to Peter to the parables of Christ to the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys, they all come back to this essential need that we have. And that's the need for salvation, which involves repentance. It involves suffering. It involves forgiveness. It involves redemption. And it calls us into the continuing church, which we're a part of. And his word points us to the salvation that has been provided for us. In the one God who has given his life to die in our place. Whose life we celebrate during Advent. And so, my prayer for us is that we would be people of the book always. That we would be people in community. That we would not forsake being a part of the body of Christ. That we wouldn't ever find ourselves in a place where we look at the church as a service that is provided by others for us, but that we would always look at the church as ours. This is my church. These are my people. I have responsibility to the other people in this community, and I, I lean on them as a part of this community, and that we would spend time growing together in his word as we understand the severity and the beauty of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Amen. Father, you have made me to be a person who looks for beauty everywhere. And I see so much beauty in your word. I see it in the language. I see it in the stories. I see it in the poetry. I see it in the turns of phrases. I see it in the cumulative reveal of this perfect mercy and grace that, that looks upon our brokenness and never flinches, but deals directly with the reality of living in a broken and fallen world. And so, Father, I pray that you would lead us and guide us this year together as a congregation, that we, would, that we would know you and love you more deeply as a result of the time we spend together in your word, that we would be people who would, who would look to your word like the psalmist and say, Lord, teach me to be steadfast in my heart in the ways that I cling to your law. Make it a joy for me.
And we ask that you would be glorified in the ways that you continue to use this church in this city and our communities and in, in the ways that this church reaches people beyond this community in ways we may not even know, uh, in ways that you are at work using the, the individuals here and, and, and the things that we do and the things we're a part of to, to bless others. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.